Hello, everybody. This is Michael Collazo. I'm CEO of Open Seat Direct. This is our third conversation and uh, the third of hopefully many uh, helping event creators, event organizers out there to learn tips and tricks of the trade. And hopefully we have some fun just talking about live events we've worked over the years. With us today is uh, the main man of the squeeze from the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. Um, and uh, and a friend of the show for certain, uh, Katab Rollins. Say hello, my brother. What's up, good people? All right. So um, what we'll do today is we'll talk a little bit more about uh, kind of where he's from, but in particular, uh, some of the work the work he does in NJ Pack. In particular, those who are event organizers, event creators, they may look to kind of do a large event, maybe on a gala level style, or just a step up from you know the lounge and club you know vibe they got going to get to a, a, a higher end venue, let's say. So uh, we'll learn more about, about that a little bit down the road, but I always start first with just tell us where you're from first off, man. Give us that info at the beginning. Yeah, I'm a, I'm born and raised in Newark. Um, I lived uh, I lived in Fort Lauderdale for like a year, but for the most of my life, most of my 42 years, I've been in Newark. Brick City, New Jersey, very good. City, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. You what, Where'd you go to high school? I went to university high school. Oh, you did? Okay. Um, yeah. And I did and I did junior high and high school there. So I was there from seventh through twelfth grade. Oh, get out. And then then Rutgers University, of course, as I know. Uh, so there you go. I'm very clear about the Rutgers. I went I went to the original Rutgers University in New Brunswick, not Rutgers North, not Rutgers Camden. I went to Rutgers University in New Brunswick. That's actually a very good yeah, that's a very good the first campus <laughs> of Rutgers University. Consider the main campus. Is that fair to say, or the? the I mean, it's the main. It's the campus. It's the main campus. Every other campus is a, is a is a satellite campus, as far as as far as I'm concerned. Right, right. No, and I think that's right. I think that's. I right. mean, it's all Rutgers. It's all Rutgers. Yeah. So you know, it's all love. But you know, we're Scarlet Knights. Nork is Scarlet, Scarlet Knights. Raiders. I'm not sure what Camden is. No, I'm drawing a blank. But yeah, it's like but, it's it's Scarlet something. But yeah, yeah, very good. Shout out to Camden. That's our people. So yeah, tell us tell us how you got from. You know, undergrad, what have you, and 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 you know, leading into working an NG Pack or working at a a large nonprofit venue, uh, really one of the better ones uh, in the U.S. So, how did that journey take place for you, brother? One of the best in the U.S. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, where NG Pack is actually the I'm not sure if, if we're the if if we're the fifth or the sixth largest art center in the United States. Um, so our peers are Lincoln Center, Carnegie yep. Hall, LA Music Center. Um, and Kennedy Center, or like our peers. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the budget size and all that. Um, but I got the NJ Pack. Um, at this point, like it's been um, a little over sixteen years. Um, and I got, I got, I graduated college in '03, and then I moved to Florida for a year. And I came back, and um, I went to school to do P. I want, I wanted to be um, a. a um, a publicist. I went to school for PR. Well, actually, I started off as, as an engineering major, and then I dropped that and went to Africana Studies and, and Communication with a concentration in, in public relations. So when I got back to Jersey at the top of 05, um, I was pursuing PR. So I got an internship at, in the city that was paying $100 a week. Um, I came into some money, and so I kind of set myself up where I got an apartment, paid for rent for six months, and pursued my dream of being um, a PR person did that for a couple months, and then I needed to, I needed to be hired, hired, and they didn't hire me. So I kind of went out and was looking for a job. So I was um, 
went to, I went to like a temp agency to, just to get a gig because I was running out of money. Mm -hmm. Sent me over to NJ Pack for a permanent position to interview for the assistant to the director of ticket services. So I was like, all right, fine. It's a gig. I need a gig. I'm all for it. So when I met with the head of HR and she saw my resume and my experience, she was like, you know, I think you're better suited in programming. And I was like, cool. So then I met with the VP of programming and then the AVP of programming and I got hired in the programming department as programming assistant. And I was really, I was the assistant to the, at the time, the AVP of programming. Her name is Baraka Saleh. And um, we did a, a series there called Alternate Roots. And it was a, it was a, a it was a year long festival, music dance theater from around the state, around the country, around the world. Um, and that's kind of how I got my job. I didn't even know that my job existed. I didn't know about job mm -hmm. arts before I got there. Um, but here's a, here's a kismet thing. When I was in college, I said that I wanted to work, I wanted to be behind the scenes. I wanted to work with celebrities and I wanted to be known among the known. But I was thinking of it in the recording industry. I wanted to work, I wanted to work at J Records. And be in that world there. So when I got to in a publicist space, in theory, right? Yeah, I wanted to be a publicist for a record label. That's what right, I what right. I wanted. So then, like, so I get to NJ Pack, and then I my career starts there. And then I work behind the scenes. I work with celebrities. I work with you know, they might not be they might not be celebrities to like the general to uh, to the public, but right. in, the, in the in the arts world, they're celebrities. Absolutely. Um, and then because I, my boss was the, was the producer, I was her assistant. I became known among those celebrities that like they wouldn't know who I am because you know, whatever. So right. my dream still came true just in a different industry than I ever thought I, um, that I would be in. That's how I got there. And, um, that was 16 years ago. Look at that. And then from that sort of, uh, progression, you're, putting together, I guess, was it exclusively free events or were there also sort of ticketed events where you're organizing and then what aspects of it, programming to ops or what have you, how did that work? Uh, so in, in the role, in the my original role at NJPAC that I had, you know, I got promoted, but like in the role I was in from 2005 until 2011 or 12 or something like that, right. um, I was first the, the programming assistant and then associate. It was, I was producing like ticketed events. Um, so my boss was the curator. Um, but what I love is that I still had creative input in the events that we curated, that that um, that that we have produced as part of as part of, part of the festival. But I did all right. the logistical stuff. I did the contracts and the transportation and the catering and mm -hmm. so we had the idea of who to book. So it was about taking the event from soup to nuts from from concept to completion. And that's how I learned how to be a producer, you know? Um, so it was, you know, having a having the idea of what we wanted to do, what the focus was, and then seeing the whole thing through. Um, so it was, it was um, that's kind of how I got my chops in, you know? Um, and it was ticketed events. We would do free events as well. Um, a lot of people think that I produce Sounds of the City, which is NJ Pack's outdoor summer concert series. Right. Um, and I had my hand in it at certain points in my time there. Um, I did produce, I did 
um, create and produce a series um, at NJPAC called Sonic Superstars for two summers. And it was a compliment series to our, our Sounds of the City. It was four weeks in July. It was DJs. So it was like, you know, like North likes a dance party. We love to dance. Like, yeah, right. Music. So it was an outdoor dance party. And I had like top notch DJs. I had D Nice. I had Pete Rock. Um, I had Samantha Ronson. I had Beverly Bond, and DJ Kiss. And mm-hmm. I had local I had local DJs as well. But like, you know, um, that's what I created and produced that was free. Um, but as part of the main stage programming, most of what we did was um, a low ticket price. It was events in our big theater, our small theater. Our, you know, it was, I did a bunch of stuff. Right, right. And then, yeah, the NJPAC has two theaters. You have the, the larger one, which, uh, what's the capacity of the larger offhand? If, if I want to say it's... Uh... Prudential Hall um, is approximately 2,800 seats. It's exactly 2,868. Oh, okay, yeah, right. Yeah, and, the three. Three. and then you have the smaller one, Verizon Hall, if I have it right. Victoria and Theater. Victoria Theater, excuse me, and that's a, a pretty number. Yeah, that's 500. 500 seats. And then we have the Chase Room, which is a multi-purpose space, but um, that seats up to 250. Oh, okay, right, right. And then South of the City obviously was outside, literally. So for those who don't know, NJPAC has essentially like a campus feel. So there's sort of a square component in front. Mm-hmm. And that's where that takes place. And that's the free one. Then your ticketed events that you had mentioned would be, depending on the size, was in one of those theaters you have inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And then, yeah, I can imagine you're, I mean, it's everything from the rider to security to the goofy stories of somebody was late, somebody who got sick, somebody, you know, nobody showed up because it snowed, all this stuff. I mean, I can imagine it runs a gamut, I mean- right? everything thinking through like you know i remember um you know editing copy um for the program books and marking up the writers and um you know it, it's all part of the process of producing um is doing everything yeah doing the doing the if we're having a reception you know doing the event diagram for the room just so like the operations team says they can look at my room plan and set the room according to how i need it to be set right um, working with the caterer for backstage catering or working with the caterer for the food for a reception. Right. And the right. budget, budgeting everything out. You know, it was, it's, you know, um, as event creators know, the process of making events is so much more than just having an idea. Um, it's a lot, a lot of little details. And they say the devil's in the details. I want to just say that the magic is in the details. Yeah. Um, you know, because those little fine things that you don't necessarily think are important, like, you know, how how a room is set up, um, you know, makes a big difference. Yeah. So take me back to, to, to one event. I'm curious, like, to break down the business of it a little bit. So of your events you were working on for those years, um, you had said lower price point. You're talking about probably maybe like a $20 ticket, a 10 a, tw- a 30 What was... Uh, Some stuff on average, what would it was like the events that we would it, it would depend on, on the theater. Um, if we yeah. didn't in the chase room, the one that seats like um, that seats 250, then those events were usually like 16 bucks, 25 bucks. You know, it would depend on what it was. The events yeah. that we chase from were usually um, like poetry, poetry event for poetry yeah. event. You have to. You also have to have to understand how to 
price your events according to you know what the genre is, what like what the event is, right. what the and what the audience is gonna pay. Um, right. A lot of our events that I worked with under alternate roots um, those years ago were budgeted not to make money, right? We're a nonprofit, and so all of our events didn't have to make money. Um, right. So we were, you know, but part of the budget is, you know, kind of is projecting a loss and managing how much you're going to lose. Right. Um, it's expected, and so it's not a bad thing. Right. Um, so those events would be $16. If we're doing like a panel discussion, in a film screening, like $16. If it's a poetry show, $25 maybe. Um, if it's a music performance, if it's like a band, maybe 29. It it, it would really depend on, you know, you right. know, managing what the artist fee is versus the house costs, and then finding a ticket price that balances all those costs. And right. it's, it's within whatever budget we allotted to lose or gain. No, and that's good info in that particular, let's say, an event organizer or someone's always considered, you know, maybe I bring a band I like to some town, you know, get investors to do it. The nonprofit space, uh, you have sort of like a, a donation element or a a, a pressure not to uh, make more money than you spend. And that's a lot different than, again, if you want to, you were think if someone was thinking of like, I'm a business venture one off of, you know, bringing an artist somewhere in their hometown or something like that. Cause then, yeah, in your case, right. You have the venue. Um, there's going to be the writer, which can be interesting or creative or what have you, the budget of the band, you, you'd have security that's in-house. You already have a platform of the venue where, you know, you're selling the tickets. Uh, I mean, those are some of the things certainly that would come to play. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, at a, at an art center like NJ pack, you know, there are different streams of programming. There are some programs that we book to make a profit. Um, and those events that project a profit are to offset the ones that don't project profit. You know, we're, right. we are a mission-driven organization. And so um, um, we it's part of our mission to have events that serve different audiences, that serve different genres, um, that might not make us money, but it's part of our mission to, to present world-class artists. So it's right. about you know, managing our programming budget, ma managing our programming offerings, so we can kind of just have a balance of everything. But we're an organization. You know, if, you're, if you are an independent promoter, your goal is to make money. Yeah. Um, and so there's a different model that you got to follow if you have to make money. Um, and NJ Pack isn't always the venue to come to um, if you're an independent, if you're a promoter. Um, right. And we'll, I'm sure that we'll get into more of like kind of no, that's a, that's a good segue actually as a starting point and to give you and you know this could tab so we met years ago and in particular we both worked downtown Newark at some point I worked at a minor league baseball uh, the old Newark Bears Stadium Newark Bears and Eagles Riverfront Stadium back in the day mm -hmm. and just as you do now could tab we would when I worked there I would get approached about from independent promoters guys in the in town that you know may have done concerts in a park or they do gigs and lounges and small, they would rent out maybe, you know, ballrooms to do shows or what have you. So they thought, oh man, doing a, a ballpark would be like a big, you know, big thing we can do. And I remember frequently saying, you know, maybe your best match to go to NGPAC or, hey, we're just probably a, a venue you're not going to make money at. And I tried to be very specific about we're outdoors, you got to bring the stage, the security, the, all these things that, you know, preclude you from making a, a dollar more. So I guess, that would um, be a good transition to, let's say someone does have 
you know, some some momentum in a lounge uh, level or a ballroom level sort of um, environment where maybe they're doing hundreds of people an event for whatever it is. And they feel like, well, maybe NJ Pack or a venue like yours is like a step up that I could aspire to do. Um, what are some of the super basics they need to know before they even come to you? Or what would you say to someone that did approach you and say, um, yeah, you know, I have some momentum I'm doing hundreds or thousands somewhere else. And I'm thinking there, what's some of the, you know, the first uh, points you're saying, well, you have to have this before we even talk. <laughs> you know, my approach to working with promoters, I kind of, kind of, I got to feel it out, right? Sometimes I'm really professional and really like, really, um, I'm over professional, but sometimes I'm really um, um, kind of, corporate in how I approach. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'm really informal. It really depends on what I feel for the, the promoter. But you have to just, you have to really know your costs and really know your audience and really know your budgets. Yeah. And one of the first things that I ask is, you know, what's your budget range? Um, and that from jump tells me if we're if we're going to be a fit. Um, and I don't I don't like to I don't like to um, waste people's time and have yeah. a lot, you know, as the head of rentals, I have flexibility in pricing, but I have certain, there are certain real numbers that things cost. And I like to establish really early on if it's a fit. Um, and then, you know, if somebody tells me they have a budget of $5,000, I'm going to say, we're not a good fit. There's right. no event that you can do as coming in as a renter um, that is going to work for $5,000 in any of our main stage spaces. And I, that's just what it is. Um, and then when a person tries to, you know, say they want to do something in Prudential Hall in the 2800 seat theater, and they say, I got $10,000. And I say, right. well, that can't work either. And they say, but, you know, I'm from Newark and, you know, right. I'm, you know, I'm trying to do this thing. A, that tells me that they aren't experienced. Um, right. Because if you're an experienced promoter, you have a sense of, you have a general sense of what venues cost. And that's kind of part of the research that you Absolutely. Do as Absolutely. you go in trying to produce your own events. And then when a person gives me a hard time about cost, I say this to them. I say, you don't go to Gucci and expect J.C. Penny prices. You don't right. go to Saks Fifth Avenue and expect to pay what you're going to pay at Target. So you got to manage expectations. NJ Pack is a premier theater, you know. Um, NJ Pack, like I said earlier on, our contemporaries are Kennedy Center and Carnegie Hall and Lincoln Center, and you know, and and. Does a person have, that has any experience expect to go into Carnegie Hall or Lincoln Center and produce an event for $10,000 in this market? <laughs> I mean, right, right. And, and that's, you know, part of what you got to know what you're doing as an independent promoter. Um, yeah. So a lot of what I do is manage expectations, manage costs, and be really right. clear about what things are going to cost. And there are some things that I can advise about. Well, if you cut this out, you can save a couple of thousand dollars here. If you add, yeah. it'll, it'll help. 
Um, but ultimately, if you aren't, you know, for NJ Pack, I can speak for my venue and venue. Right. Market, if you aren't coming in with the budget of at least twenty thousand dollars, then we can't really talk. You said forty thousand. Twenty. Twenty. Okay. Theater. But again, even with the small theater, um, it's really hard to make money in the small theater. You know, um, the the to to talk money. Like for the 500 seat theater, it's 500 seats. So that already kind of gives you a sense of what your gross potential is. Um, and price per seat you have to, to settle on, as you know. You can't do a $10 ticket because you'll have limited. You'll make you know, $5,000, and that doesn't even right. cover the house costs, right? Correct. So the Correct. house cost for a renter for the Victoria Theater is probably, um, you know, 15000 is what you're going to pay me right. for the venue, for staffing, for cleaning, for ticketing, for in-house equipment and all that. So you figure if the house cost is 15000 what are your artist fees? So if you're, if you're paying an artist, say, $10,000, so right now you got to try to make at least $25,000 just to break even. So all right. right. So... Um, you got $25,000 divided by 500 seats. And that means that you don't have no comps, <laughs> right? Exactly. So you got- You have your promoter comps. You usually have artist comps. You usually have, I'll give this to radio station in theory, all of that stuff. Right? All right. So let's, 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 let's factor that in. All right. So let's say in the 514, actually, um, that theater is 511 seats, right? Right. With seat kills for speakers and all that, we probably end up about five hundred. Let's say five hundred. Yeah, good round number. Let's say you want to you want to pull out. Let's just do. It's a small theater. You want to do ten comps for your artist. You're down to four ninety. You want to do twenty comps for radio play. You're down now to four seventy. All right. So you know that your house costs and those are estimated. Your house costs, let's say, are fifteen thousand dollars. Your artist fee is twenty five thousand dollars. We didn't even talk catering or anything like that. So you got twenty five thousand dollars, and you only got four hundred. You got four hundred seventy seats divided by four seventy. That comes to fifty three dollars and nineteen cent. That means that that artist has ten thousand dollars. You got to be able to charge at least. $55. Now, yeah. we talked about a facility fee, mm -hmm. you know, handling fees that the customer has to pay and all that. So you figure you got to you have you have to net at least $53 net to make your $25,000 to pay your artists in your house, which means right. that to net $53, you probably got to charge about 70. Yeah, 70, 75. At least. And that's just yeah. to break even. You got to make a profit. Where's right. your profit at? So to right. make a profit, you got to probably charge at least $80, $85. So, right. all right. Now, this artist that's going to only charge you $10,000, is your audience going to pay $85 for this artist? Right. That's maybe they will. That's something you got. That's something that you got to think about. Um. Right. And that's just, this, and that's why all that to say that the Victoria Theater is really hard to make money in. Right. 
Um, so let's move over to Prudential Hall. Um, Prudential Hall um, is 2,800 seats. So you have real potential to make great money um, in that theater. Yeah, there beautiful are a lot spot of too. Beautiful. For beautiful those theater. who don't know, orchestra setting, then you have this sort of like box seat, sort of mezzanine component, and then up to the you know mezzanine balcony where, I mean, it's a true you know sort of opera house style theater as it were. It's a beautiful theater. But what matters is, it's beautiful, but like what matters is it has enough seats that a promoter can come in and really make money. Right. You got to really know what you're doing because yep. that's a big nut to crack to be in that theater. The house costs estimated for a typical concert in Prudential Hall is between like 40 and 60,000. If it's comedy, maybe like 35, you know, but let's take whatever, 40 to 60,000 is just the house cost. And that's, you know, the venue, in-house sound lights, ticketing, da, 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 da. that's just the house cost. So let's say, let's just cap it at like 55,000. Right. Is just the house cost. Um, now, for because you got such a high risk, you got to think about advertising, radio, commercials, billboards, mm -hmm. Let's say, you know, you're going to plan to spend about $20,000 in marketing. So now we're up to 75000 in just house costs and just marketing. We ain't even booked the artist yet. No, right. you haven't even booked the artist yet because I'm selling you the space. Yeah, right. So you're already walking into $75,000 at probably, you know, for some major radio, TV, whatever you whatever you're gonna do. I would say for Prudential Hall, you know, a typical artist fee. Let's go on the low side and say fifty thousand. Right. That's about right. So you're at one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars right there. That you won't be on the hook for. Right. So if you're on the hook for $125,000, you better know what you're doing or you're going to lose your shirt. Correct. 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 Um, I, I've, uh, this past fall, had a promoter. You know, he said, they said that they knew what they were doing. Um, they had these young hip-hop artists. It was like Fabio Foreign and Hood Celebrity and artists that I really hadn't heard of. I heard of Fabio, I heard of Fabio, um, him but not really the other ones. Right. Um, and I was very clear about what you going to pay me for, you know, to have, to have a concert there. Right. And I don't know what their artist fees were, not my business. Right. Um, but they came in and they wanted to charge a top ticket price of like $165. And I was like, that's really arbitrary. I was yeah. like, do you have you tracked? Have you tracked what ticket prices that artist has gotten in the past? And they hadn't, which told me they weren't experienced promoters. Right. And to give you a context, you know, this get tab. Hip hop concert pricing, that level is pretty much like Meek Mill, Rick Ross, like the high, you know, the higher end type cats. It's, you know, a lot of the younger general mission only guys are charging 35 plus fees, 25 plus fees. So just to give you a context, like that's way off. Know, 
Because they're playing clubs. They're playing clubs. Exactly. Where the audience, you know, if they pay $50 to go in, cool. Right. If they pay in $165, you, you'll pay that to get into a club, but you're going to be at a table with bottle service. Correct. The whole Correct. different experience. Yeah, then not seats in a ballroom. You're at a, you're at a, paying that to go know. sit in a seat in a nice theater. Right. Who paying that for? Artists who been out for two years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, um, but, but again, it's not my job to help you promote your show. It's my job to sell you the space because if you're going to come to a place like NJPAC, it means that you should know what you're doing. Which right. means that you should have access to Polestar, Celebrity Access, or whatever thing is going to help you do your research to A, find the right artist fee, and to and to get a sense of how to scale the house, how to set your ticket prices. Right. Um, and I like to say, you know, there's a real science, there's a real business behind booking artists. Um, to kind of pivot a little bit, you know, to what NJPAC produces, you know, there's a reason, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a formula behind who we book. So when people try to tell me, how come NJPAC ain't book Meek Mill? There's a science behind that, you know? Right. How come you ain't book Nicki Minaj? It's a science behind that. Hey, Nicki Minaj's artist fee is what it is. Um, Nicki Minaj typically play because of her artist fee you need to have a venue that's at least five ten thousand seats to support that artist fee that's not what we are right um you know so it's about looking at looking at the history of artist fees which you need to have access you know through the professional trade all of that Absolutely. you need to look at what ticket prices this artist that you want to book can command, um, we need to look at what artists, like what venues have they played and have they played a venues of similar size than the venue that you want to come into? And if so, what were the ticket prices? But all that's the kind of research that an experienced promoter should know. And as you know, this, Katab, so um, a promoter doing potentially well, but in smaller, like you said, nightclub or lounge environments, Another revenue stream they might work out is some sort of like beer liquor sponsor environment. Right. You know, hey, we get up, you know, I get the local Coors Light guy to give me his marketing budget. So that might cover the band or 80% of it. You might work a deal at the bar of some sort. You know, these are different ways, right, that people will sort of work around it. And right. so NJPAC, you may have none of that angle or very little, right? Um, is that fair to say? Um, where that's not another that might not be at least another revenue source you could bring to the table in a place like yours. Right. We don't, you know, NJPAC doesn't, um, we don't share in handling fees. We don't share in facility fee. We don't share any of the ancillary expenses. Those are all, all that comes to the venue. And remember, um, you know, this is a business for both sides. Right. Um, and, you know, a venue is interested in protecting the venue. A venue is interested in maximizing revenue for the venue. Right. So you have so so you so you as a promoter, you have to balance. You have to know going into everybody has to make money. You got to make money. 
but the promoter and you know the house kind of like how 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 in gambling and cars the house always wins right right so you have to contend with whatever the house costs are but you have to make sure that you don't lose your shirt and you Indeed. you're able to structure the deal in a way that you make money or says or or, or or else what's the point it's saying just goodwill you have to right. put concert for goodwill because you want to like do it this is this is business no indeed and then uh with NJPAC as well uh Ticketmaster is I guess the con- is that fair to say the contracted you know sort of platform you sell tickets there's not an occasion where uh, a promoter could rent the facility but not use Ticketmaster is that fair or is that wrong meaning it like you have to use Ticketmaster if you do an event you have to use Ticketmaster. It is a very, it is a very, very small exemption to be able to not use Ticketmaster, and it's a very, very, very small um, caveat. And it's for religious exemptions. Um, so, for instance, like the the Orthodox Jews, who mm-hmm. because of their religion um, aren't allowed to go to kind of secular websites and be exposed to the outside world. Right. Um, that's probably the only exemption that we can do um, because it's religious and that community, because of their religion, isn't a, they aren't allowed to use Ticketmaster because it exposes them to the outside world, outside of the world that, ha- that, that, that they have to live in. That's right. So, the, so how about this? Is there a scenario, though, where let's say it's just a nonprofit, we're going to rent the place out to do a gala and it's not a public facing per se. It's not a we're marking this on radio. It's just we're mark, you know, our donors and our friends. This is a fundraiser. Um, in those cases, people use it's OK to use like whatever platform they might use to execute that, as you know, some. I'm just curious, like, uh, so again, if you're, you, it's not a public marketed event, it's more, again, an event gala for a nonprofit. We want to rent the space ballroom style and just, you know. So if, it's a, if, it's, if it's a private event, there are carve outs. Um, but if you're selling tickets, it depends. It depends. If it's a con, it, it really yeah. depends on, on scenario. But for a private event, um, there are exceptions that can be made for ticketing. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Cool. So that's a great picture of obviously, you know, what it takes in that regard for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and in the, I guess in the case of NJPAC, there's a few rooms. So, you know, that's, you know, even a smaller promoter in theory, because there's a room with 250 and a room with 500. Again, it could be tough to make money, but there is some, there's a chance there to work. I know in, in the case of being a follower of the, the venue, um, the 500 seat facility tends to get like comedians, for instance, because it's just one guy or one woman, you know, on stage doing the, it seems like that's the type of show that more likely would end up in the smaller because of, um, I guess the scale, maybe they're not big enough to do 2,800, but 500. And it seems like that's an example of what tends to end up in the smaller room. And then the bigger one obviously is, you know, just, any major artist that's come through there. Ana Gabriela knows coming down the road, uh, Smokey Robinson, you know, the dance theater work, uh, the dance theater shows, so on and so forth. So that's a fair assessment, kind of like who tends to maybe use the spaces. I would say, I mean, for, uh, yeah, for the small theater comedy works in there because, you know, it's, um, you'll have a small profit margin, but it's possible to make money on comedy because um, the tech costs are low. 
Um, you don't really have to do a whole lot. So there's more opportunity to make money for comedy. Um, especially if it's like a, if it's like a self, if the comedian himself or herself, if the comedian themselves is self-producing, um, then they have an opportunity to make a little, they have an opportunity. Um, but you know, audiences are hard. Audiences are mm -hmm. hard. And those, that, that self-produced comedian, um, if they have a real good following, yeah, but you know, audience, the public, the public um, is not always good about seeing shows of artists that they don't know. This isn't a market, this NYC metro area isn't a market that I find to be really adventurous with mm -hmm. new artists. You know, if you're gonna spend your money and um, you're gonna spend your money and you wanna go to artists that you know. It's rare, not rare, I mean, some folks do it, you know, um, maybe more like in a club, again, a club lounge setting where right. it's experience, but to go to a theater, we don't find, you know, our kind of audience research doesn't show that audiences want to come to our theater for artists that they don't know. Right. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's another, that's another consideration that a promoter has to really be clear about coming to a theater like NJPAC is will, it's not necessarily a thing of if you build it, they will come. <laughs> um, because when people invest in like their own money, you know, if I'm thinking about, cause who really goes with the shows alone, it's really going to be you and somebody else. Right. So, right. On a low ticket price side, am I gonna pay 50 bucks, 75 bucks um, to go see artists that we don't know? Right. Maybe. Right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's take this time real quick. Uh, I do have some more questions for you, but just talk a little bit about OpenSea Direct. So obviously we empower event creators and, or and uh, organizers to organize events easily, get paid instantly and engage customers directly. So sign up for free or save $20 when you enter the promo code OSD20 at checkout. Go to openseatdirect.com to learn more. And uh, our platform actually tends to help the folks you were talking about, the, the guy, the you know, the artists in the lounge, the promoters that are doing the small events or um, an event organizer that's looking to rent a space and sort of like uh, run their own show on an independent level. Um, but as it relates to more events that you've worked with, um, You've certainly had to uh, be involved with rentals at NG Pack that had sort of, uh, as you mentioned, uh, brush with celebrities and bigger brand names in terms of events. So not only just the concerts and, and others that go through, but um, I know one event that I think uh, the audience would certainly be curious to, to hear about is Black Girls Rock. So BT's Black Girls Rock programming at one point. Um, I think for multiple years, right? Use NJPAC uh, for the broadcast. So um, just give us juicy details, fun stuff, like anything cool as it relates to that experience, because uh, I know that's, uh, that's a fun one. Yeah, that's a really, that's a really, really great event. I really miss, um, really miss Black Girls Rock. Um, so how many times did it come through NJPAC to remind me? I remember at least once, but. Uh, it was for six years. They, they, six they, years, first, they first came, um, they first came in 13. Okay. Um, so Black Girls Rock was televised, I think, maybe one or two years before they came to NJPAC. I think by the time they came to us, it maybe was the 
it was the second or third time it had been on TV. Before that, it wasn't televised, but it's, it had been happening for a while. Um, right. I, that was just a really great show. It was a huge undertaking. They take over the whole building for a week. Um, and because of kind of my own style of, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a, even though I'm a kind of in sales, um, I'm still a producer. And um, the BET team turned into be friends, right? So mm-hmm. um, I would go to their meetings and kind of sit in um, on the on, on the process of like how they're producing the show. And m- my main intent was to manage expectations. You got to always manage expectations um, in the venue because you know they might have a grand idea on what they want to do. That might that may or may not work in the venue. So I'll be able to sit at, at the table and say, "Hey, yeah, that could happen. It might cost about this much, or that sounds good, but logistically speaking, here's what that would take to make that happen." So it was good being able to be at the table. Although I can't take any credit for producing that show. It's mm-hmm. productions, um, and then eventually it was it was Jesse Collins. Um, who was their producer of that show. Um, they were the producers. I just ran the venue and the venue operations. Right. Um, but it was just great, right? And so seeing the venue transform was always great. Um, you know, I got in really good with the with the head with the head of special events. So the red carpet, the red carpet tent, um, the receptions, the after party, it was really a really a, a, a great experience. And it was an annual thing. It was my favorite event to do every year. Yeah. Um, and I'm never really, a, I never really, a, I'm never, I never really try to meet the artists. Um, kind of where we come from an NJ, Pat, we call that, uh, what I can't say the word, but we, <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of my training um, as a producer at a midget theater, not to, you know, try to harass the artists because. And my experience from, venues you know there is an unprofessional nature of you know fanboy hey i know you're playing here tonight and yeah i work here can you sign something that's not what you yeah do. never never definitely never perhaps but if yeah. my path crossed then cool but to go and seek them out nah not really right um i did i did uh uh like one funny story is this might have been year one or two um of, of black girls rock being there Erica Badu was a performer. And so um, how the show goes, they have the, they have, you know, the red carpet, they have the lobby activation, they have the show, and then um, they, then there's an after party for talent, executives, special guests, and all that. And that will go until like 2 a.m. We have to really like say, get out, leave, party yeah. stop at like 2 a.m. So, and then I'm there for the whole thing because it's my venue, I'm in charge. Right. So, end of the night, um, and I was with, um, and end of the night, about to leave, it's probably like 3.30 a.m. Um, so, on the backstage, and who's also leaving but Erica Badu. <laughs> so, I was like, oh, so, but we were like backstage trying to leave. And um, I had just told Beverly Bond bye, gave her a hug. And I see Erica, I'm like, oh my God, Erica, so nice to meet you. I'm glad you're in my venue. It was like, can I get a picture with you? And I was with my partner at the time. 
mm-hmm. years ago. And she was trying, she was like, you better walk fast. So walking, <laughs> like, walking fast with her and trying to like get a picture. Um, but that was funny. But again, it was like, I didn't yeah. see her out backstage and it was like, it was a moment. It was a moment. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. And there's so many elements to that because as you mentioned, there's a step repeat sort of like section of it. And, you know, I guess the publicity and the, and the photo taking and, and all of that. Then you had the actual, um, you know, broadcasts where it's in the big venue. And then, as you mentioned, there's after party, there's craft service somewhere. Probably there's riders of all these people. People have to come from an airport and get there and all. The, it must have been nuts, you know, over it's the course of the week. It's a huge undertaking, and um, it's a huge undertaking. But that's what the BE team does. It's, it's, it's yeah. what we do, right? And so um, I'm just there to be not a sounding board, but to work along with them, right? They have they have their marching orders, and as it relates to the venue, was what I'm there to assist with, and to manage and guide, you know, and to chime in. Um, so I, I, I worked alongside with them, um, mm-hmm. to, to help make it, help make it happen. Yeah. Those lobby act, but you know, it's, it's a huge thing. Like even they have their own vendors. They have other, they have a vendor that comes in and does the red carpet the vendor that comes in and does the, the lobby activations, the sponsor activations. Right. Right. Um, so like, you know, they have their in-house team. That's over that. Then they then the in-house team brings in their own outside vendors. Um, and so all that, you know, we're all managing all that. Yeah, pretty crazy. Wasn't there other broadcasts too that's come through the building at some point? Um, if I remember right, and I was curious your memories of other broadcasts shows that again, these were um, not ticketed events per se. These were shot live or recorded. Are the TV uh, events? Um, yeah. Um, America's Got Talent. America's Got Talent was at NJPAC. When mm-hmm. um, when Simon Cowell left the show and they hired um, Howard Stern as mm-hmm. judge, they had to move to the East Coast. So they moved to the East Coast for the live shows that were happening that summer um, because Howard Stern wouldn't go to L.A., Right. Um, they did it at NJPAC. The first yeah. year was the live shows were there, and um, it was really cool. Um, and then for a couple of years after that, the live shows, for, for as long as they were on the East Coast, the live shows were only at NJPAC one year. Then they went to Radio City. But they would do auditions, um, and they would do auditions at NJPAC for years after that that still had audiences. You know how when you – how America's Got Talent, when they're going through the process of like all the talents like narrowing down, the judges are voting and all that, but that's still part right. of the show. Um, right. That was filmed also at NJPAC at, at various times for a few years after that. Right. Um, other, those were the major TV things that have shot there. Um, but, you know, a bunch of commercials have shot at NJPAC, a bunch of TV shows have shot scenes there. A couple of movies have, have shot scenes there. Um, most noted, the the most recent commercial that was shot at NJPAC is the um, the promo for South Park, um, the twenty fifth uh, 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 the twenty fifth uh, the twenty fifth season of South Park. The promo 
where um, they have the orchestra on stage and the and the and the singers on the stage, and then you see the the cast of South Park in the box seats. Um, that was at NJ Pack. Um, there were scenes from the season finale of season two of um, of of the Wu Tang um, um, American Dream. It's on Hulu. Yes, that was out there yep. last summer. Um, that shot mm-hmm. there. There's been Law and Order that shot at NJ Pack a few years ago. Um, a couple of Netflix films, Netflix specials like uh, right. Papa, um, John Leguizamo, Latin history. Latin history, Latin history for morons and ghetto clown, yeah. um, all shot at NJ Pack. That's what comes to mind. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah, so quite a bit. And I guess what's the through line with all of these? What's sort of in common, I guess, uh, in terms of what you're working on, what you have to make sure, you know, I guess with all of these, what's the common, you know, task or common uh, uh, thing that comes up uh, that, that uh, makes um, sense? It- you know, come it. You know, I let you know. Uh, I can be as charming as I as 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 I can be once I meet them. Once they call, um, the venue can be as beautiful as it wants to be. But ultimately, it comes down to: Do we have the dates they need? Do we have right. the space they need? And is the house cost in their budget? That's what it comes down to. Um, right. And so right. part and, you know, part of it is part of it is um, part of it is, um, you know, negotiating the contract and and um, and luring them in, meeting people like making like kind of cold calls to some degree. But generally for TV, TV is very specific. Yeah. They have a very specific date range and a very specific need that they have. Um, and it's not a whole lot of cajoling that one can do. So it's about right, being right. about being flexible with dates and prices, and that's everything it. else happens from there. No, that's it. That makes sense. And before we go, I guess there's a couple things uh, I'd love to hear your, I guess, advice to event creators or uh, organizers, um, even if they remain on sort of the smaller level. Let's say a, a lounge or a, we rent a ballroom level stuff. And that's a huge chunk of uh, uh, the, the part of our community that we help with. What, I guess I would love to hear advice on what you've seen sort of the big league folks do, the, the ones that do it professionally for a living and stuff you thought that um, really uh, is quality that uh, an aspiring up and coming event organizer or someone doing something on a small level could take from you seeing the pros, quote unquote, do it, the big league folks do it. Yeah, I think the big league folks don't need my advice. They 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 already have it have it down. But for the folks that for the folks that are independent creators, it's it you know it's really about. Um, I would say. Know the details, make a really make a really detailed budget. Um, really have your event really down and know what your budget is. Be very clear on what your budget is, what all of your budget is, um, whether it's your artist fees, whether it's whatever, because an independent creator can make all kinds of events. So um, it's about really costing out what your event is on your side and being patient if you need a venue, be impatient with, you know, finding the right venue. Um, and, you know, the big shiny one might not be the right one. 
you know, the big shiny one um, is probably going to be expensive, which right. is cool if you, if you got the budget for it. But the big and shiny one doesn't always need to be used. You know, let the big guys like like use that. Um, you know, um, I think that collaboration is always a good thing. You know, independent a creator gets with a small venue that is, you know, a lot more flexible that don't have no union. <laughs> the stagehand union is really a big thing to consider, you know? And so, yeah, yeah um, the quality's there, but you're paying for, it, you know, it's a, yeah, a, you know, example, the, yeah. a venue that has a union um, has another set of costs that aren't that negotiable. Right. So you might want to find venues that don't have a stagehand union. You might want to find venues. You might want to, you know, use a non-traditional space, right? Maybe, right. maybe it's, you know, maybe it's using an art gallery. Maybe it's using, you know, um, a place that wasn't necessarily meant for performances, but you can trick it out and make it unique. And then it's win-win for the venue and for your event. But I think, you know, I think that really knowing what your event is, if it's well-produced and, um, and, being flexible and being open to possibility is the best advice that I can really give um, because you can make anything happen if you if you can make any event happen if you are flexible in how it can happen. You know, I think having the vision of what the event is, what you hope to what you hope to accomplish is key, but be open to how you get there. That's where the magic happens in being open in how to go about achieving your vision. That's that's what I know how to say. That's good. And we'll leave it at that. That's good stuff. So uh, Katab Rollins of uh, New Jersey Performing Arts Center, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it, brother. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. Thanks, man. <laughs>